Hello. Welcome to another episode of Saturday the 14th. I am Maggie. I am Maddie. And we're here to talk about some horror movie shit. Or a shit horror movie. That too. <laughs> um, I am sorry for my voice being half out today. Um, I screamed a lot this weekend playing sports. <laughs> I got a little too intense in my voice was screaming the price about I paid. how bad Amityville horror is. I actually did just spend the last hour screaming about how bad it is, so that is probably a reason why my voice is gone. I think this is the first time that this has happened where we legitimately have not liked a movie that we've done. So I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. For the Christmas episode we did, yeah. like Black Christmas wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. We had fun watching that it. That like a fun bad movie. And like same with Krampus where it wasn't like a great movie, but it was yeah. fun. Like I had some great like gimmicks that were great. Right. Great gimmicks or what the fuck. Um, <laughs> anyway, this one was just like painful to watch. It was so long. Oh my god, it's an it's okay. It is almost two hours long. It's like an hour and fifty eight minutes. It long. does not it need, does to, not be need to be that long. long. That and like the first time I watched it, I literally fell asleep like twenty five minutes in. That hasn't happened to me while watching a horror movie in like years, actually. And everyone who knows me knows I fall asleep a lot during movies. You do. Very rarely horror movies, though. Yeah, that, that is true. And this is the first time it's been a horror movie. Because it's just... Boring? Yeah. Okay, I know that this is technically like a classic in the genre or whatever, but I feel like this is why people don't respect horror. <laughs> I think there are some really interesting tropes and like features it brings in like the bleeding walls for example yeah. or something. I think that's one of the first times you really see that in it's like a haunted house like, movie. It's definitely like peak haunted house movie. Yeah, and it's really fun. It's like in that way like it's not a fun movie though. It has some things that are fun when they're brought into other movies but are not done well in this one. Yes, that's accurate. Sorry James Brolin. I thought James... I think that James Brolin being 70s hot is the best part of this movie. But he's complaining about being cold he's also, the entire time and running around half naked the entire time. Like, of course you're cold in the winter <laughs> in New York when you're running out without a shirt on. Like, what do you think's gonna happen? Yeah, he's like a straight-up crazy person in this movie, but... And he looks like a straight-up crazy person. I like the full beard, long hair, mane look where it just surrounds his entire face. There's also so much plaid in this movie. There's a lot of plaid. But There's listen, a point I where, like, like he plaid. picks up Amy and she's wearing plaid and he's wearing plaid and it's like the same plaid. They just turn into one, like, amorphous plaid blob. Listen, it's the 70s. It's New York. I actually he runs a construction adjacent company. I did love all of Kathy's looks in this movie. She wore too many pigtails for me. I love the pigtails. Pigtails are a recent look that I've started rocking because I, I've been really inspired a, by all these 70s movies. No, it's just like not as high up and childlike also, though. Yeah, well she wore like a lot of high pigtails and she wore a lot of like schoolgirl skirts, which is like that is kind of weird. Like yeah. A married woman with three children. Like, she's not even at the point where it's still, like, you're young enough that you can kind of be like, oh, a I'm sexy still, like, a school girl. It's like, you are, like, a grown adult woman. Stop trying to look like a sexy 17-year-old or whatever. Yeah, no, not that's that all completely legit. Sexy, but no, but you know what I mean. I do. There's it the whole very fetishy to me, like, theme of the sexy school girl, but she's not young enough to pull off, like, the sexy school girl. Look. No, it's just, it makes it weird. It makes it, it makes it, instead of looking like something that's potentially, like, a natural thing that she's defaulting to, it makes it, makes me wonder what George's preferences are. Ooh. Yeah. Also, that naked ballet scene, though. She's just, like, doing ballet in her underwear without yeah. a shirt on. And, like, with the door open. And it's like, you have kids in this yeah. house. And they just have, like, sex on the floor. Yeah. That was a completely unnecessary scene for this movie that did nothing other than just be like, hey, look, it's someone also, who's attractive and here's some boobs. Okay. Well, this is not in any order because we're just talking about our feelings now. Yeah. But, um, the, the first sex scene where they're just, they're just 
making out with each other's necks. Like the whole sex scene is just that they're kissing each other's necks. And it made me I think I slept through that part the first time and did not bother to back up to rewatch it. Yeah. I don't like like I have a very sensitive neck and I don't like the idea of like just excessive neck touching is like very uncomfortable to me. And like I that sounds like a nightmare. <gasps> oh my god. But they're I guess really into it. We so. have a lot of opinions on this movie. Oh my god. We've like opened the the taps here. So we're gonna get into some facts. Yeah. Um, so this movie came out in 1979. It was written by Sandor Stern, which is a straight up Game of Thrones type of name. It really is. I think there's actually someone named Sandor in Game of Thrones. And it was based on the book by Jay Anson, which Maggie actually read. I read that 300 page pdf in a day uh and it is (laughs) everything about this whole thing is bad (laughs) maggie has a lot of opinions that she will share later yeah i have a lot of factual based opinions yeah it's not even opinions it's It's just just inaccuracies here's some facts for you yeah but we'll get into that that's for later um it was directed by Stuart rosenberg and it stars james brolin as a sexy sexy 70s man george george Margot Kidder as a sexy 70s adult school girl. Kathy. And Rod Steiger as a not-so-sexy, unless you're into it, 70s priest. Is that Delaney? Father Delaney. Father Delaney. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was made for about $4.7 million. Yeah, and it made $86.4 million. So it's another one of those... So it did really well. I mean, it's hugely popular. Like, they don't remake a flunky, right? Yeah, I mean, my guess is that it was... Like, maybe it just is really dated, but I think there are a lot of 70s movies that are probably just boring. Well, here's the thing, is that, like, we've watched other movies from the 70s. Like, um, I mean, I've seen The Exorcist. I've seen... I've seen The Exorcist. I liked it. We talked about um, The Omen. yeah. And, and Friday the 13th came out in the 70s, didn't it? It was uh, 1980. So uh, well, it was a year, it was a year after, after this. this. Yeah. So, like, these are still movies that are, like, yeah, there's stuff that seems dated about it, and there's stuff that's not as scary now, but they still have, like, a coherent plot. Yeah. I think the biggest problem is, and something I wanted to address before we came into this, is that this movie is really just, like, a bunch of random things happening. Yeah. There is no plot. It just jumps around nonstop. So, as we're going through the summary, we're also going to jump around a lot, because, like, this is happening now to the Father Delaney. Now there's, like, a nun. No, like the walls are bleeding. What the fuck? So um, sorry if we don't make that much sense. It's because the movie really didn't make that much sense. We would say watch it and you'll understand, but don't, don't watch, watch it. it. Unless you want to. I but mean, like, if you have the Comic-Con subscription on Amazon Prime, it's free to watch. Yeah. I signed up for the trial just to watch this. I bought it on DVD. Why would you do such a I thing? I paid $20 for this and like three sequels. Maybe the sequels are better? Maybe. But here's the thing is that I was like, you know, I'm, I'm building my horror collection, which is something that I am actually trying to do. I'm trying to buy all the stuff that we that we watch for the um, the podcast and actually just have it, you know, on my bookshelf. Yeah. And I wish I hadn't. Yeah, <laughs> I have no intention of watching this 1979 version again. I'm kind of um, tempted by the 2005 version just because... I heard it's even worse. Really? Yeah. Um, oh, no. Not only is it... Um, I'm going to give you a spoiler. Give me a spoiler, Maggie. Harry dies. The dog dies. No! The dog dies by Ryan Reynolds thinking he's a monster and axing him to death. No! So that's why I don't want to watch it. I don't want to watch this movie. Never also, mind. Also, apparently, so like, George Lutz, who is, you know, the The, the guy the this is lead. based off, yeah. I guess he was okay with this version of it. He did not like the Ryan Reynolds version because he was like, I didn't do any of that shit. Like, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill a dog. I didn't do any of that stuff. I wasn't possessed by a demon, like, in that way. That's horrible. No one should kill... I am very anti-animals dying in movies. Yeah. Um, 
I have a great story I'll talk about a little bit later in which I freaked out while watching Alien because I was convinced the cat was going to die. And my mom had to tell me before I could continue watching it that the cat didn't die in the movie. That's the story that you were going to tell. That is the whole story. That's the whole thing. (laughs) I feel like there's an unspoken rule where, like, you can kill people, but you can't kill animals in movies. Yeah. No, I feel that. Like, for example, in the first episode of House of Cards, like, that's what makes Frank such a monster is that, like, he just kills a dog. That's fucked up. I haven't actually watched House of Cards yet. Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. Um, I need to, because... To be fair, it happens in the first episode. There are a lot of episodes after that. Yeah. I recently uh, realized after finishing the third season of The Flash, which is not a good season of television, and then we started Wild Wild Country, which is amazing, um, which you should watch. It's about a cult in Oregon. Cool. And it's incredible that um, we just watch garbage television all the time. I just caught up on Once Upon a Time... So I understand watching too much garbage television. We were talking about it. My boyfriend was like, I've watched all of the show Uncle Grandpa. It's this Cartoon Network show. And he was like, I haven't watched. Like, we have not watched Handmaid's Tale. We have not watched House of Cards. I think he might have. I haven't. But he's watched all of Uncle Grandpa. Like, I've watched (laughs) so much Law & Order SVU. Like, and I watch, um... Disney soap operas, apparently. And we watch the Amityville Horror, speaking of Yeah, so let's get into the summary. So, Maggie, why don't you kick us off? So this starts off with a real event, um, which is that in the early morning hours, um, specifically 3.15 a.m., although they don't ever mention that detail in this movie. Yeah. um, On November 13th, 1974, Ronald DeFeo Jr. murders his entire family with a shotgun at their home in Amityville, New York. So, a year later, George and Kathy Lutz, so a real couple that this is based off of, um, end up moving into the property because it's a little cheaper due to the fact that it had been murdered there before. And there's this whole line they say about how, like, houses don't have memories. Yeah. Which is, like, foreshadowing. Um, but... George really isn't religious, but Kathy definitely is. Yeah, she's got like she brings in crucifixes. Like, she brings in crucifixes. She has a giant like Mary statue that she brings in. She's all about it, and her kids are as well. And can I say something that I actually really liked about yeah. this movie? Because there's not going to be a lot of that. The scene when they're touring the house before they decide that they're going to buy it, and the real estate lady is like here's this nice bedroom, here's this nice attic. And she's, like, opening the doors, and they're kind of walking this route around the house. It does these cutaway flashbacks to the shooting actually It does, and that was Which is well really done. cool, and it got my hopes up right away, and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome, and then it was just it very let mad. you down, build you up to knock you down. Oh, I know. But it's really cool, because she'll, like, open the door and be like, here's the bedroom, and then you just see, like, a shotgun, like, cock, and just, like, blow, like, a... That was yeah. cool. It's the only good editing moment in the entire movie. And that was also great is at some point the real estate agent asks, like, so do you, are you guys married? Do you have kids? And he's like, yeah, we just got married, but we have three kids. And she's like, uh. And then Kathy gets like mad. And she was like, why are you messing with her like that? <laughs> but all the kids are from Kathy's previous marriage. Yeah. Um, so they all move in. Um, she has her friend, I guess, Father Delaney, um, come by to bless the home. And so he actually comes over to bless the house and he knocks on the door, but no one answers. So he kind of just walks in. He goes through the house and sees the entire family is in the backyard. Yeah, they're all playing down by the fancy boathouse. So he's like, you know, I'm just going to start blessing the house. And then he gets, like, attacked by flies. Yeah, so he goes up into the sewing room, or this this one bedroom that uh, she eventually turns into a sewing room. And there are all these flies on the window. And here's this voice go, get out, which we talked about in our get out episode, which yeah. is where that kind of haunted house, like, why would you stay if the house is literally to telling you to fair, get out? To be fair, though, the family never heard the house say get out. Only the priest did, and he never successfully told him that the house talked to him. That's true. That is a good point. 
They have other signs that they should They get do. Out, but that is true. So here's this thing, this house say get out. He sees the flies on the window. Um, he tries to bless the house and he, does he break out in Heim's son or does that happen later? I don't know if he really because he just Ever gets like, fully the, he breaks gets out. Stigmata. He kind of freaks out. He gets like the stigmata. He, like, he leaves. Yeah. So he's like, I'm out of here. This is some bullshit. Yeah. Rolls on out. They never see him, so they don't even know. He that also he was ends there. up with like severe stomach pains. Like he, as soon as he gets out, he starts like dry heaving and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he leaves. And so the family had no, yeah, no idea they were there. And at some yeah. point, they like end up calling the another priest who works with him. They're like, hey, can he come by? And it was like, he came by yesterday. What are you talking about? And they're like, no, he was never here. Yeah. And he's too sick to talk. So he phone. goes back to like the rectory or wherever it is that he lives and he starts getting really, really sick. He has this horrible stomach sickness. Um, he starts getting blisters on his palm and he keeps trying to he make... He keeps trying to make phone calls to the family, but he literally picks up the phone and the phone gives him those blisters. Yeah. And every time they get on the phone, at first it starts off and then it's just static. Like... I don't know how these weird demon things are attacking people through the phone. I've never seen that in a movie before. Um, but apparently phone demons? Kind of in Nightmare on Elm Street when Freddy um, puts his tongue through the phone. Does the, I'm your boyfriend now, Nancy. Was that IRL or is that in Dream World? I think it's IRL, but honestly, the end of that movie, it blurs the lines so much. That's true. That it's a little hard to say for sure. And it's been... I've I don't remember, but you're right. I forgot about that because it's been a while since I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. Um, and we watched like all four or five of them. Yeah, I like have a like week. four of them oh, God. on DVD. Um, anyway, so phone demons. So phone demons. Uh, so he doesn't have any luck getting a hold of them. Um, and stuff starts getting real weird at the actual house. Uh, George is waking up at 3.15, which again, okay, they don't ever explain to you why it is significant that he is waking up at 3.15, even though it would be so much better if they just had just told you. A shot of the clock before the murders happened, like, by the way, this is at 3.15. Yeah. But they don't. They don't do that. And instead, there's just, like, always a dramatic shot of this 1970s alarm clock flipping from 3.14, 3.15 a.m., and then something will happen. So you're like, oh, it's weird that they keep waking up at the same time. But no one, you're never like, oh, it's weird that they're waking up at the same time as the murders. It was in the book. They could have just used the actual source material. (laughs) Ah. So he starts waking up at 3.15 every night and doing, like, walking around the house. There's this weird scare scene, jump scare thing, where he's sitting near a window and a black cat jumps out and, like, has, like, a cat scream at him and then hisses and then runs away. As someone who has two cats, I can guarantee you that's not how cats work. Cats do not jump at a window, yell at you, hiss, and run run away. No. All those noises are what you do if you startle it and, like, back it into a corner. It's trying to say, yo, get away from me. Yeah. Cats don't, they, they just don't do that. It's really I weird. it's supposed to be, like, it's the evil of the house. And the cat's, like, upset about the evil but of the But the house. cat wasn't there. It runs over, does it, and then runs away. Also, it's a black cat. Given black black cats bad names. That's true. But did you actually know? This is a fun piece of um, pop culture news. That black cat adoptions are actually super on the rise and an all being named Chala from Black <gasps> oh, Panther. I love that. So a lot of, because they're traditionally really hard to adopt out. Um, one, because of superstition. Two, recent news says because they're hard to take selfies with because their faces all kind of blend in, which is real dumb. But recently, um, they've grown in popularity because they're little black panthers. That's amazing. I think black cats are awesome. Our they friend are. Cheryl has an incredible black cat. Mad. Mad. Um, in addition to this, like, 
cat jump scare. Um, one of the kids like falls down the stairs on the way to the basement, and at some point, all the toilets just randomly fill with all this weird black goop, which they just never mentioned again. They don't talk about getting rid of it. No, just all of a sudden, like there's black shit in all the toilets, yeah. and not like shit, but like supernatural goopy. Yeah, it's like stuff. A, a pudding. Yeah. Or, like, a dense cream. And it, like, comes in with the water. Like, yeah. it's coming through the sides of the toilet. Yeah, it's, like, in their system. Which it's, is, like, okay, if that happens at the house that you just moved into that hasn't been inhabited for a year... Maybe you get, you like, get to get someone to look at your pipes. Now, a lot of this other stuff, if it happens, you need to just leave. But, like, that does seem like a possibly legitimate plumbing problem. You know? So, Father Delaney decides that if he can't get these people on the phone, he's going to go over there in person. So, he gets, like, the young priest who he's been working with to drive him over. And Mm -hmm. on the way, the car, like, freaks out. The brakes stop working. The steering wheel locks up. The front opens up. Yeah. Weird shit. And, his view. They nearly get into a crash. I think they pull off to the side of the road and manage to get out okay. But, like, something does not want him going to this house. Yeah. Then also, um, Kathy's aunt ends up coming by, who is a nun. Yeah. And she, like, enters the house, immediately, like, freaks out, and is like, peace, I gotta leave. And Kathy's like, no, don't leave. And she's, like, freaking out, like, why won't you stay? Oh, my God. I love the scene where she's driving away after she's left, the nun aunt, and she becomes ill. And the way that she becomes ill is by opening the door and scream vomiting out of her car. Like she, it's like this dramatic scene, but she opens the door and she's like, like, it's like, but because it's like (laughs) through the car door that you're seeing it, her head's just like ducking down and you hear her making these noises. It's obvious that she's not actually vomiting. It's so fake that it's hilarious. It's just, she, and she's just, she's like, when you're pretending to make a puke sound when you're like seven years old and you want to make fun of your classmate that's like the noise that she's making yeah it's, and then um meanwhile george is getting kind of like worse and worse he's like looking real ill yeah he like doesn't shower he starts complaining about always being cold possibly because he's running around half naked the entire time yeah, he just like goes out to check the boathouse all the time because he keeps thinking he sees stuff out of the boathouse and he goes out to the boathouse in like his bathrobe yeah he does it some i know in one of the scenes he goes out in like jeans and a coat and, and no is, shirt. Yeah. This is December in Long Island. On it Long makes Island. sense why you're cold all the time. Yeah. Put on some... He probably gave himself, like, a fever. He also, at some point, is walking around in a turtleneck and, like, whitey tidies. Yeah. Don't do that. Tidy whiteies? I think you can go uh, either I way. I don't know which way it goes. Tidy eh. whiteies. Anyway, like... So he's just, like, by the fire all the time. And he's, like, yeah. feeding logs into it. And he's really obsessed. He also, like, is, gets real into splitting logs. Like, real intense about it. It's very creepy. If any man in your life gets that interested in wielding an axe, you need to leave. Unless it's, like, Chris Evans. Oh, God, yeah. But he doesn't even wield an axe or it. He just rips the You're right. right in half with his hands. That's true. Uh... uh. Anyway, <laughs> Kathy also starts having nightmares. So, like, she wakes up at 3.15 one night screaming, like, she was shot in the head. I want to interject here. I know you do. They don't mention, again, this is another thing that they just straight up do not mention in the movie. The fact that she was shot in the head is a detail of the crime that was withheld from the general public. Everyone knew, and by she, I mean um, Mrs. DeFeo, George's, uh, not George's, Ron's mother. Everyone knew that he had shot his family. Everyone else was shot in the back. She was the only person who was shot in the head. So it's actually significant and shows that she is having some sort of real vision based on something real if she sits up in the middle of the night and yells she was shot in the head because she's not supposed to know that information. However, the movie doesn't give you any of this information. No, they don't say that. It's just, so I was watching it and I actually texted Maggie while watching those scenes saying like, 
why is this dramatic? Like, obviously they were shot in the goddamn head. We saw that in the beginning of the movie. And then Maggie explained that part. Yeah. I was like, that makes a lot more sense. This movie just did a really bad job communicating that. Yeah. Which is, I think, the most frustrating thing for me, honestly, about this movie is that there it could be so much better if they just used the... And the book is not good. That's the thing. The book is shitty. But, like, if they just actually used the source material, it would have been better. So then, at some point, they're getting ready to go to Kathy's brother's wedding. And George, at some point, says, like, no, I can't like take time for myself I need to be ready for your brother's wedding and the next day they're all getting ready at the house for some unforeseen reason and Kathy's brother like keeps counting these $1,500 that he needs to pay the caterer in mm-hmm. hard cash right. because the caterer refused to take a check and so he counts it out He's like, hey, Kathy, can you count it out? And she's like, you're counting, you're fine you know how to count so he literally puts it down George enters the room, the three of them have a brief conversation he looks back and it's gone yeah and so they're freaking out because they can't find it anywhere. They look over everything, under everything, in everyone's and at pockets. at first, because George is, like, the one who's freaking out, it seemed like, well, maybe he took it because he's acting kind of funny. Yeah. But then he actually kind of saves the day by offering to write a check to the caterer. Yeah. Which then later bounces, but that's yeah. a whole other thing. Which is another thing they get into more in the book. That's fine. I believe that. But so um, <clears throat> the parents, so George and Kathy go, and they bring the two boys, and they leave the daughter, Amy, mm-hmm. home alone with a babysitter, who's rocking some great headgear going on. It's an incredible. Um, and so she's watching Amy, and she gets locked inside of a bedroom closet by she, Yeah, she goes to check see. something, and the door closes, and she starts, like, banging on the door, screaming, like, Amy, let me out! And her hands get up all bloodied real yeah, she quick. She like smashes. The, she must be really going at him. She must have been. And she's screaming. And Amy's just like sitting on the bed, staring at the door. Like, thanks, kid. You're yeah. doing a great job there. Yeah. I, it's it's obvious that Amy is under the thrall of something. In the yeah. House. So when the whole family gets back from the wedding, they like explore the house and find this going on. Amy's still sitting on the bed, staring. Yeah. And so they let the babysitter out, and they're like, Amy, what the fuck? They're also like, the door was not locked. Yeah, the door also didn't like, even have a been, lock yeah, on it. She should have been able to get out, but for some reason she couldn't. Um, but she's also, like, crying and screaming and has blood all over her hands. So they're like, okay, this seems legit. And so they're like, Amy, what the hell? And Amy says that Jody, her new imaginary friend, wouldn't let her open the door. And then she talks about, like, George yelled at me. Because George yells at Amy for not letting the babysitter out. And Kathy, the mom, says, like, yeah, you should have let her out. And she's like, well, Jody doesn't like George. And yeah. it's a real kind of, that was actually a nice moment, I thought. Yeah, I gotta be honest with you. The concept of imaginary friends makes me not want to have children. (laughs) Like, I'm probably going to have children, but, like, I didn't have imaginary friends when I was a kid. And, like, I know a lot of kids did. And it's just, it's very creepy to me. And so this, that was very upsetting to me because I don't want that in my house. Yeah. I've read a lot of those, like, ask Reddit threads about, like, the creepiest things that have happened to you. No. And most of the time they involve kids and imaginary friends or, like, memories of past lives. Yeah. And it is freaky. It's terrifying. A lot of them are probably made up. You know what cats don't do? What? Tell you about their past lives and their imaginary friends. Yeah. They stare at ghosts, though. They do stare at ghosts. That's true. But you know what? Like, at least I know where they are, so I know what parts of my apartment to avoid. (laughs) My very small apartment. Uh, Uh, All right. So so Father Delaney at this point decides he's going to go to the higher-ups in the church and tell them about what's going on in the house. And he apparently has a background in um, psychology. Yeah. And psychotherapy. And this whole thing does not go well. The higher-ups are like, we've seen supernatural things. It's never been Satanism. And then I think one of my favorite lines is because we're talking about the car messing up. And they ask the younger priest guy, like, so what happened? He's like, well, the wheel locked up. He's like, see, I'd rather, or like, 
I'd blame Detroit a lot faster than I blame the devil for this. I feel like the church should be more interested in the devil than they are in this scene. Especially, like, if anyone's gonna be, it seems like the Catholic Church should be the ones, right? That, and, like, this is a priest. He's, like, old. He's been with it for a while. Like, has he brought you on a lot of wild goose hunts in the past? Because if not... Then, like, maybe believe him a little bit? Also, he's getting, like, the stigmata on his hands. Yeah. Which, that's, like, something the Catholic Church is supposed to care about. And I love that Delaney just starts screaming, and he literally uses the words bureaucratic bullshit. And as a priest yelling about that, I appreciated him in that I don't think that it helps his case. Oh, no, he got nowhere with them at all. Yeah, they didn't like it. They, They brushed him off. So, George is just straight up not showing up to work at this point in time. Yeah, and so his partner, Jeff, shows up and visits the house, and he gets out of the car with his wife, who's Caroline, yeah. who's apparently really sensitive to the supernatural. She's she a doesn't really weird ta- lady. She doesn't really talk about it until later, but she gets out of the car, looks at the house, she's like, nope, not going in there, gets back in the car and sits in the car the entire time while Jeff goes to talk Smart to George. girl. Um... So they're talking about the business issues, and he also brought something for the boat. So George and Jeff go out to the boat. And meanwhile, the two boys are taunting Amy. I should know the boys' names. I don't. Matt and Greg, I think. Cool. Um, They're not really main plot points in this movie for the most part. They start fighting a lot more. That's really their main plot point. They they also tease the girl. They have, like, a spider on a string they're trying to tease her with while she's having, like, a little tea party with her dolls. Mm -hmm. And... While they're doing that, one of the windows slams shuts on the boy's hand, and there's yeah. a lot of, like, close-ups of this bleeding hand. Yeah. I mean, it's 1979, so the blood is, like, bright red and looks super fake. Oh, yeah. But it's still very horrifying. But, so, yeah, the special effects in this scene are particularly good. So that night, the front and basement doors—this is kind of creepy—they're, like, in bed, and they hear this huge bang, and they think someone's breaking into the house, and they go downstairs— And the front door has been, like, blown open off of its hinges from, like, being shut. Like, something, like, pushed through it. And the same thing happened with the basement door. Like, they've both been completely blown off the hinges. Yeah, so they call the police to come by and check it out. And they mentioned that, like, the doors weren't, like, knocked inwards. They were knocked outwards. Like, something was trying to get out of the house. The cops are definitely in. like, this man is beating his family. Like, oh, they're 100% like the convinced first, They're of like, that. oh, so you just are having all these weird problems and just, like, doors are breaking in your house and no one's, like, kicking them in or Yeah. And they go into the basement at some point. In the basement, the cop comments on how much George looks like the guy who had killed his entire family Yeah, in he asks if they're related, I think. Yeah, and he's like, no, he's like, you just look a lot like him. And... Harry the dog, the lovely dog. I love Harry the dog. Such a good boy. He's like a big Great Dane, like a black Great Dane or some sort of lab mix or something like that. He's a very handsome boy. He is. Um, But he starts pawing at the wall in this one area and you don't really know what's up. They leave the basement and the cop's like super suspicious Mm -hmm. and starts keeping an eye on the entire family. Yeah. He's just like chilling outside. Not that he ever like helps or anything. No, he's just around. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and Kathy is, like, freaking out at this point in time because they've spent all of this money on this house. Uh, they got a good deal on it, but they still spent a lot of money on it, and, like, everything's going wrong. Um, so they're freaking out. They're really yeah. unhappy. And the next day, we actually get to hear a little bit more about Jody, who is Amy's imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. And she, Amy ends up talking about how Jody wants her to live there forever and ever, and how Jody tells her about how there was a boy who lived in this house, but then he was killed. And it's, like, more kind of creepy ghost imaginary it's some friend Some Brady stuff. twins shit. Yeah. And, um, that night, I think, is one of the better scenes in the movie. So Kathy 
who is watching her daughter through a door mm-hmm. and because um, the door's cracked open and her daughter's singing like a song about how like Jesus loves me and she's sitting on the floor facing this rocking chair and singing it to the rocking chair and the rocking chair is just rocking back and forth yeah, on its own. Yeah, that was fucked up. And so Kathy opens the door and she's like, who are you talking to? And the, the rocking chair immediately stops rocking mm-hmm. and Amy is saying, like, oh, no, you scared Jody away. And she's like, you know, there's nothing here, right? She waves her hand. She's like, yeah, because she's outside. Like, she went through the window. So Kathy walks over to the window and looks at it, and there's these two, like, bright red eyes staring. Yeah. That was kind of cool. That was pretty cool. That there, was a good scene. There, there are moments. There are really good moments, but as a whole, the pacing is just really slow and not that interesting. Like, there are a couple good moments in the movie, and honestly, we're we're touching on the highlights. We're not... Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that happens that we're not talking about just because it's not worth talking there's about. There's so much happens in this movie, and, like, maybe 10% of it matters. Yeah. So, George decides that he's going to go do some investigation into this house. He, I think he wants to find the blueprints to see what the door, like, the secret room is, because he suspects that the dog is trying to get into something. So, yeah. he goes to get the blueprints. He was also, like, riding a motorcycle and looking kind of cool. He does, because he looks sexy when he has his face covered, because when he doesn't have his face covered, he looks like a man who's had horrifying diarrhea <laughs> for, like, That's two true. weeks. Anyway, so he goes and he gets that information, and he stops by a bar called The Witch's Brew. Um, and he's kind of going through things. And the, the bartender is like with a, um, oh yeah, the bartender. The bartender's like freaked out. The bartender's looks exactly like, you look like really, you look again. like somebody I know. And he's like, oh, I just moved in. And he's like, oh, where did you move? And it's like 106, 108, I think, Ocean Avenue, something like that. There's and he a gives place him the, on Ocean Avenue. <laughs> so he gives him the address and he like slow-mo shatters a glass. Like he drops yeah, a yeah, glass yeah. and like shatters on the thing because he's so stunned by it. Um, and so he kind of like and he discusses talks about how he looks exactly like the guy who shot everyone, which yeah. the police officer, and that he's literally sitting in the chair that the guy who killed his family was sitting in when he like the cops came in and arrested him. Right. Yeah. So he like learns a little bit more about the uh, yeah the house from that, and then he meets up with his coworker Jeff. Right. Yeah, Jeff and, and the wife Caroline, yeah. who it turns out is like a crazy psychic woman. Yeah. Um, is specifically how she's described on tvtrips.com which I really appreciated (laughs) Um, and they get into kind of a fight and then what's kind of interesting is that George will like go into these little mini trances and then be pulled out of them by people. Yeah, he and just turns into an that asshole. That kind of happens. Yeah. Like he turns into an asshole and then he hits Jeff and Jeff's like, okay, now can we talk that you got this out of your system? And then he's back to a normal person again. Yeah, yeah. So he finds out that this place that he is living was like originally built by or built on the land owned by this guy named uh, John Ketchum. And so John Ketchum was actually run out of Salem for being a witch. Yeah. And then when he left Salem, moved here and built his house here. And they talk about like devil worship, sacrifice, and, like, Caroline's real into it. Caroline is... Cray. Really over the top. Yeah. Like, so they go back to the house, and she wants to go see the basement. Yeah, like, they're waiting in the car because George's gonna go in and talk to Kathy and be like, hey, let's go talk to them, and Caroline's like, nope, I'm not waiting. I'm drawn to the basement. And then she's like, I'm very sensitive about these things. Yeah. And it's just crazy. So she runs and, like, breaks into their basement. Yeah, basically. And she starts telling them about, like, how there was this, like, Indian burial. Not an Indian burial ground. It's but, like, like, a place where, like, the Shinnecook Native Americans, like, sent their mentally ill and dying or, like, criminals. Yeah, they would take their people who are, like, mentally ill and just, like, put them here and leave them to die. And then eventually, like, buried them in that spot. What I want to know is, like, 
how did she know this though? Because it seems like she's like in some sort of weird mood because she's Listen, so sensitive. To she's these things. sensitive about these things, Maddie, and she just like goes on this like little mini monologue while walking dramatically through this basement to the area where Harry the dog can. And then pawing. she starts like hitting the wall. Yeah, because um, Harry actually yeah. starts pawing at the area to the point where his paw starts bleeding, and Aww. Jeff takes the paw and wraps it up and takes care of Harry. Aww. Thank you, Jeff. And Caroline, like, takes, like, a pickaxe-type thing and starts hitting the wall. Yeah. And then George and Kathy come down. They're like, what the fuck are you doing to our house? And then George is like, okay, and just starts, like, going to town on it. Yeah. And they find a secret room that's just painted entirely red. And, like, George hallucinates his own face inside the room. Okay. In the book, it's made more clear that that is supposed to be the face of Ron DeFeo. I the knew what it was supposed is to be. That they just had pictures of of James Brolin, as for like every time that a, a photo is needed of Ron DeFeo, whose name they never mention in this movie. He's just the DeFeo son or whatever, the boy, the, the boy, the kid. Yeah. So it's impossible to tell when it's supposed to be. George and when it's supposed to be Butch to fail because they're just like the same face. Yeah. And then Caroline goes like randomly possessed and starts talking about how like this is a room through which demons enter and leave. And then she speaks in a different voice telling them to find a well and that's the passage to hell. And then all of a sudden there's just a cut to Father Delaney. This part was real weird because while she's like freaking out and she's like find a well that's the passage to hell um Kathy turns to George and says something about like you recognize that voice don't you and like I was watching the movie and I was like I don't know and luckily I'd read Maggie's notes already before watching so I knew apparently it's supposed to be Father Delaney's voice coming through Caroline but like Father Delaney does not have a unique voice also why is a priest's voice coming through a random woman not made clear. This, there's so many weird things. Uncertain. Like, usually hauntings, like, if it's a haunting, because, like, I think poltergeist center around people and haunting center around places is what I learned that in the movie Poltergeist. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's either that or vice versa. But either way, this is clearly a place-based thing, but for yeah. some reason, Father Delaney the entire time is, like, messed with. Yeah. Despite the fact he's, like, miles away. Yeah. It makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's really confusing. Um, So they run upstairs, and there's actually... um, George and Kathy go upstairs, and they see that there's actually a crucifix that is now hanging upside down, like the top nail had come undone. So they both grab crucifixes and walk around, like, trying to bless the house. And then in the process of it, like, George drops his crucifix. Never really said why. It just, right. He just drops it. Then Kathy goes to pick it up. Then she drops it. And all of a sudden, she's covered in all these weird boils. Yeah, she's got, like, weird stuff all over her face. But that didn't happen to George. So was it caused by the crucifix? Was it not? This uh, is when you leave your house. Yeah, you found a secret home. Someone speaks in a different person's voice. And you break out in boils while holding a crucifix and blessing your house. Just get a get hotel the room. Fuck out. Get a hotel room for the night. Get your children out of there. It just, I don't know, man. It's weird. So then the next morning, it shows Father Delaney is like, he's actually keeps trying to call the house. And every time, like, the phone will ring and Kathy will answer. And there's just static on both ends. Yeah. And sometimes, like, a dial tone, like, it hangs up. So he's been trying to get in contact with them. He couldn't get there. So he's just trying to pray for them in the church that he's in. Right. And so as he's praying, like, parts of the church start falling apart. And he gets, like, really screaming, very impassioned. And then he goes blind. Yeah. And he can't see, which is yep. what happens when you go blind. <laughs> um, and so later that night, George goes downstairs because he hears, like, a 
drumming. Like he, it sounds like a marching band downstairs, basically like a drum corps. I couldn't figure out why the fuck he went downstairs. That yeah, makes sense. it's a little weirdly. The audio mixing is very difficult on this movie. It's not well done. No. So, but it's it's supposed to be like there's someone playing a drum downstairs, and so he goes down to check it out. He trips over their porcelain, like a little Chinese like dog dragon thing, um, and falls onto the ground. And so. He goes on the ground and he gets up and like rolls out a rug for reasons. Reasons, I guess. And then Kathy is upstairs, and this really confused me because so she has a dream. She wakes up and sees that George is next to her. So she goes around the house and she sees George with an axe, like trying to get to the kids. And she actually walks in and sees the kids all like axed up and like oh, yeah, bloody. Yeah, yeah. And she turns around and he hits her in the head with the axe. And, and then, then she, she wakes, wakes up. up. And he's next to her, and she's like, oh, man, it was a bad dream. But then, like, a minute later, she goes downstairs to find George downstairs. So how did she wake up to find him next to her? It just it seems like this whole movie was shot out of order or something. Yeah, it's really, really confusing. But she goes down, and she, like, looks at his foot, his leg. Because he just starts screaming out how he's coming apart. And she's like, what's happening? And he's like, oh, I was just dreaming. Yeah, and she looks at his foot, and there's a clear, like, bite marks yeah. if like this weird dragon dog thing had like bitten him and this is the weirdest interaction because she goes it looks like these are bite marks and he goes would you stop nagging me which is not what she's doing that's not, that's nagging. not nagging it's just it's just stating a fact about your injury and he gets real upset and ends up like slapping her across the face and then he just like sits by the fire and like puts wood into the fire and it's weird because like I will say he did, like, hit her. Yeah. I don't think he hit her, enough, like, hard enough for that much blood to start pouring out of her yeah, nose. Yeah, she just gets, like, an insane nosebleed. And, like, it was a slap. It wasn't, like, a punch. Yeah, I've never been slapped before, but I don't think that it does that. I've been, like, accidentally punched in the face a couple times because, like, sports happen. Oh, okay, yeah. I've... I guess unless your nose breaks, like, that shouldn't really happen. Yeah. But even then, like, we had a, like, our friend Cheryl had her nose broken once at a concert, and her nose doesn't get all bloody and crap like that. Right. So, like, this stuff happens. Getting slapped in the face doesn't do that. No. Just saying. Yeah. Anyway, um, next day, Kathy, actually, she wants to get in touch with Father Delaney, because, like, she doesn't know what the hell's going on. She's been trying to get in contact with him. And she goes out, and she is told by the younger priest who's been hanging out with that he's actually on vacation. It turns out he's just, like, silent, sitting next to a river, not, like, talking, can't see. Just I kind think of he's like, supposed to be, like, in a monastery or, like, an asylum or something. I don't, it's not very clear. He's in all black robes now. Yeah. And, but he won't talk and he can't see. At some point he, like, feels the priest's face and that's about it. Yeah. So that's not going well. And then the police officer, like, tries to talk to him. But, like, they don't really get anywhere. No. Nothing comes of the... This is the, the thing. police nothing officer... Nothing happens with the police officer. It's such a happens. useless plot point, because he just, like, is going around talking to people and then never does anything. Like, nothing I don't understand the, the point either. I think it makes sense that he's, like... They're trying to say, like, look, it's happening. Like, he is being attacked because he's a religious figure. So I understand kind of the idea. Yeah, but, like, it never comes back together. Like, it never... It never does, like, tie well together. They never actually interact, is the thing. Those two people, those two plot lines... Aside from her talking to the younger priest that one time, they never intersect. That's true. Because they never are in the same room. It makes no sense. But so after that, she goes to do some more research, and she actually finds newspaper articles and once again sees that her husband like looks exactly like the murderer. And she's like, oh shit, I gotta go home. There's never really a good reason for why he looks like the murderer. He does actually look a lot like him. IRL? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, neither of them are as hot as a young James Berlin. I believe that. Butch DeFeo is a 
eh, guy and See, George it just Watts seemed was like a, a random eh, plot guy. point that was just like picked up and like we don't know what to do with this so we're just gonna drop it here it's like an interesting fact but yeah it's hard to actually work into the story yeah so that night um George just kind of loses it for some reason yeah he's like filing his axe off and like sharpening it there's up. a lot of scenes like close-ups of him like sharpening the axe yeah and that night somehow he just kind of goes crazy and the walls and stairs start oozing blood and he actually starts like attacking the children's door yeah. to their room with an axe yeah and then, he goes full here's johnny on it yeah like, which just feels out of nowhere. And also, was there a lock on that door? Like, do the boys lock themselves in at night? Weird. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it felt weird that he was axing it. Yeah, you could just walk through and then axe yeah. the children. Yeah. But anyway, so he tries to do that. Kathy interrupts him. Sort of starts to break him out of his trance, but then she looks like she's like 90. Yeah, he like throws and so her he the thinks ground. there's like a different... I think he thinks that she's someone else. It seems like he just like... Because he throws her down, and then she's like, don't hurt my babies. And he's like, Kathy? Yeah, you're like, right. Like, I think that he thinks that she's a different, like, a demon or something that. Like makes that. sense, actually. Because he does, like, throw her off, and then... It, it, I was very confused, because she looks, like, super old for a second, but it's clearly the same person. Yeah. So I was like, is this just her upset? Like, did she age? What's going on? And since you'd read the book, you were able to tell me, like, oh, no, he actually saw her as an old woman. Yeah, but it's also, like, she was supposed to be, like, hovering at that point in time. There's a lot of levitation in the book. <laughs> This is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> they must have run out of budget for that. Um, and so they, they're like, oh, shit, we really need to get out of here. So um, they grab the whole family and get out of the house, and they're all in the car. And then Amy yells, I want Harry. Who's a dog. Who's still in the house. How do you forget the most important member of the family? Which is your angel dog. Yeah, the, the good boy. The only person who has not had a creepy friend or tried to fight his brother or, or was attacked, attacked by ghosts with an axe. Or, like, yeah. just... Ugh. So they start to drive away, and they get, like, a quarter of a block away, and George just parks the car and runs back in to go get the dog, which yeah. is really nice. I, I like that. I was glad that they went back. Yeah, it's just funny, because he drives, like, two houses and then runs. Like, yeah. Is two houses really going to save him from whatever evil's in this house? Maybe. Those people in those houses seem to be fine. That's true. Yeah. But then, like, I mean, Father Delaney isn't, and he's quite a bit away, so. That's also true. Who knows? There are no rules in this movie. No. Usually there's, like, some sort of sense behind what happens. There's Not no sense here. No, no, nothing makes any sense. So he goes back in to get Harry, and he falls into a giant pool of blood that's now, like, in or directly in front of the red room. Because in one scene, it looks like it's in the actual red room, but then he would have had to, like, climb into the wall to get into it. So I think it's supposed to be in front of it. I got nothing for you. Yeah. And Harry it pulls goes, him out. He goes kind of crazy and, like, yeah. bites him at first. He's like, no, Harry, stop it. And then Harry goes from being, like, kind of crazy dog biting him to using the grip that he has on his arm to pull him out of the well. Such a good boy. And so George picks up Harry and is running out covered in blood, goes through what is now like raining outside. Yeah, washes Somehow him clean. the entirety of the blood comes off him. Now he's just like a wet guy carrying a dog. It's like that song um, Come and Clean by Hilary Duff. I was hoping that was Hilary Duff. It was. Oh. I mm. had... Like Hillary Duff come on my Spotify radio earlier. Nice. It was a weird like Kesha three hundred three and like Disney covers by Ariana Grande and then like Hillary Duff. I have no idea what this playlist was, but yeah, I that sounds like a very confusing. Playlist. Was kind of into it. All right, you know, you, know, you do you. Yeah. So he gets back. Uh, the rain. He feels the thunder and he wants to scream. Um, and he's coming clean. And yep. he gets back to his car and they drive that's off. That's the end of the movie. And they live happily ever after in another state. 
I guess, yeah. I think they ultimately actually in real life um, got divorced and one of the sons actually really hated George uh, Lutz, I guess. So it's not as happy as they necessarily make it seem, but nobody gets ghost murdered, so yeah. that's nice. There's just a final title that reads, George and Kathleen Lutz and their family never reclaimed their house or their personal belongings. Today they live in another state. And that's the end of it. That's just how it ends. And there's no, nothing makes sense. No. It's not a good movie. Don't watch it. No. I hope that you, I mean, those are two hours of my life I'll never get back, but now I can speak intelligently about this movie, so maybe it's worth it. I also read the book, so that's more hours of my life that I will never get back. You know, you live and you learn. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right, so there's some stuff in the book that was kind of left out, um... That but like thought, would have made it a lot better. Yeah. First off, at some point in the book, they claim that every other family who lived there had some horrible thing happen to them, which is also not true. Like, there's this, um, I think the, the Cromartie family, or a couple, the Cromarties, who moved there not long after the Lutzes, who, like, were very open about, like, no, nothing has happened to us. Like, we're doing good. <laughs> like, it's fine. They moved eventually because people wouldn't fucking leave them alone. Yeah. So I guess that's something, but it's not, like, a real... Yeah. Um, also, there was, like, this whole psychic research group that supposedly came to help them. Um, the, the Warrens, Ed and Lorraine yeah, Warren. Yeah, where are the Warrens? Like, that's what I know the Warrens from, is the fact yeah. they worked on this whole thing. Right. That's why, like, The Conjuring is big, and Annabelle, and actually a great thing that I spot in the movie, there's a scene where George is walking around, he looks in the corner, and there's this, like, Raggedy Ann doll just sitting in a rocking chair. Mm-hmm. And that doll looks very, very similar to what the real-life Annabelle looked like. Because it yeah. was just a basic Raggedy Ann doll. I thought since this was a Warren case and that was a Warren case, maybe that was on purpose. But then it's never mentioned again, so it could just be like a set-dressing coincidence because it was a very popular doll at the time. I like to think it's a little Easter egg. It kind of felt like it. Yeah. We can pretend it's an Easter egg. Yeah, I was honestly... See, I was already because I, I personally think that the uh, Warrens are a crock of bullshit. Um, so I was, like, ready to rant about that. But it, as it turns out, I have a lot of other stuff to be yeah. upset about anyway. So um, I haven't done that much reading on them, but I enjoyed the movie The Conjuring. Yeah. I mean, Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. The movies that are based off of them, fun. Conjuring, great. Conjuring 2, all right. Annabelle, I haven't seen, but I'm sure it's great. Um... But them as actual people, <laughs> I think that they were charlatans. So <laughs> so there's that. Um, so I was kind of expecting there to be a little bit more to talk about there, but um, they don't ever show up in this movie. Um, oh, one thing that did happen in the book that doesn't happen in the movie is uh, at the actual wedding, they actually like talk more about the wedding itself. They actually Because they don't show the wedding in the movie. No, they, they show like a little bit of the reception, but not the actual wedding. Blah, blah, blah the actual wedding itself. But um, when George goes into the church for the wedding, he becomes very ill and he feels really uncomfortable. He, mm-hmm. They talk a lot about George's similar. diarrhea in the book. Apparently that was like a real I problem I will say, for as him. someone who went through like a two-week horrible food poisoning, I, I had something very similar to like salmonella. Mm-hmm. That was living hell. Like yeah. that is the worst I've ever felt in my life. I can, un- like I just cried a lot, but I can understand also potentially being angry from that. And, and murdering like, your whole family. I physically wouldn't have had the capability of doing so because I was just, like, sick in bed for two weeks. (laughs) But I can understand how horrible being in that physical state is. Yeah. Well, apparently it was real bad for George when he went to the church because he, like, couldn't deal with it. Like, it got worse, apparently, when he got to the church, which made me think about um, Damien, the omen, when he's supposed to be going to the wedding. And he has, like, the whole hissy fit Yeah, and he, like, loses his shit completely in the car. (laughs) Diarrhea loses his shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) too funny. Um... 
So, I mean, I felt that there was a strong connection there. I uh, I do kind of, my suspicion is that they're sort of taking inspiration from some of these. Yeah. Um, See, I was watching this and I was watching this scene where like these flies are attacking the priest and I was like, they don't need like an exorcist. They need a freaking exterminator. Yeah. And then Paul was in the back of my apartment. He was like, maybe that's why they're all so sick. <laughs> they just have like they're terrible, just... terrible, like bug yeah. infestation illnesses. I mean, bugs can cause illnesses and that's stuff. That's true. They can. That's like where the, the plague, plague was spread by fleas. Exactly. So this is the, the house plague. Yeah, and they kept talking about how, like, the f- reason why the flies being there was a bad thing was because they were out of season. Yeah. I feel like flies are usually just around. Like, well, yeah, maybe not that many. Yeah, not in winter. Okay, so you're from California. That's true. Where you have bugs whenever. That's true. Um, in I'm from New Hampshire, so I'm not as far away from New York. And when it gets hot, there's a ton of bugs. When it gets cold, all the bugs die. So it is really unusual for their... Like, there might still be one or two, but it would be there unusual... Like, snow out or anything. No, but it would still be, I guess, cold enough that, like, there wouldn't be flies yeah. outside, at least. And, and not in that number. That's true. So... It just, it just seemed weird. And they only mentioned the words, like... It's not the right season, like, once. But otherwise, it just seems like there's a really big, yeah, like, sanitary like something issue. something might be, like, maybe rotting in your wall or something. Yeah. Like, again, just maybe get the house inspected better. Tent it. Yeah. Easy. Just, like, get those demons out. Do a quick exorcism. Do a quick extermination. Fumigate. To be fair, they couldn't even get the house blessed. So, like, I'm not sure an exorcism would work that well. They need more priests. More priests. Safety in numbers. Mm. Good call. Yeah. Um... Something that Maggie pointed out that's also really interesting about this movie, and we mentioned it earlier, but just, like, when George is, like, attacking the door, it is so similar to The Shining. It is. And here's the thing, is that The Shining, I think, came out in 80-something? 80 81? When did The Shining come out? Do a Google. 80. Okay. So The Shining came out a year after this movie. However, the novel actually came out in 1977. Right. Um, so I don't think that the act scene... Obviously, there's not the the direct visual similarities between the axe scene in Amityville Horror and the axe scene in in The Shining. And the book you, you, that for doesn't the, exist in the book. And the book in the Amityville Horror and the book of The Shining they came out the same year, right? So my my thing is that like maybe I can see The Shining taking some inspiration from that scene in Amityville Horror, although I don't know that. Well, Amityville Horror I think came out nine months after the book, right? But not. Oh, because the, the act scene isn't in The Shining in the same way. I'm not sure. I like, read it. I, I've read it, but it's been so long. I read it in high school. Um, so you're thinking that the movie The Shining took inspiration from that scene in the Amityville Horror? I'm thinking maybe. I don't know that. Um, I don't know that Kubrick would ever be like, "Yeah, I totally fucking ripped off <laughs> the Amityville true. Horror." Like, you know, it, it's definitely a better movie. Um, but I could see maybe that being an intentional uh, inspiration or an intentional I could see reference. That. Yeah, because um, the Amityville Horror was really popular. Yeah, exactly. But what I will say is that the overall concept of the Amityville Horror is um, there's a residence with some kind of otherworldly presence, slowly turning the father evil and making him a danger to his entire family. The overall concept behind The Shining is that there is a residence with some kind of otherworldly presence slowly turning the father evil and making him a danger to his family. That's and true. The Shining, the book, was published, like you said, nine months before the Amityville Horror, the book. And I read that book. It did not take nine months to write. Huh. So 
I, you know, I mean, obviously I don't know the specifics, but, like, there's a little girl who, like, meets a spirit who wants her to stay there and play forever. Like, same thing happens in The Shining. Yeah. And, you know, again, I would want, I would have to go through, you know, and I I didn't have the time to go through both of them because they're both pretty long books. Um, and, you know, point out where the similarities lie. But my guess is that there's more than just that. There probably are, you yeah. Know? So another, like, really common trope in movies is the idea of animals knowing like when paranormal shit's going down. Yeah. So mentioned the whole thing about like the cat and alien, how like it could sense it when no one else could. And the only person right. who kind of realized the cat could sense it was Ridley. Yeah. Um, but that was interesting. And that's where my cat story comes in about how I only really cared if the cat survived. I didn't care <laughs> if any of the humans survived. Alien was the first movie that ever scared me. And I still haven't watched the entire thing again because I was so upset by it when I was like eight years old that I like couldn't watch it. Yeah. Oh man, I have never seen Aliens. I, which I I've been to told see... is scarier than Alien. I've yeah. just never seen it. Okay, we'll do that. We'll watch them either for this or just for fun. Yeah, but yeah, I mean the the animal thing happens a lot. You see, like in the movie Dracula and in the books, like the horses are like very freaked out by Dracula. I mean and the, the baboons and the omen baboons baboons. The very unhappy baboons in the omen they lose their shit about Damien. Yeah, the dog in Poltergeist is not having it. Yeah. He starts barking before the poltergeists start their business. So it's definitely, like, it's a thing that happens. Um, and I think that that's more than just even, like, just horror movies. Like, that's something that you'll see in a lot of different movies where, like, if yeah. there's a murderer or, like, a serial, like, in a thriller, like, the dog doesn't trust the killer or whatever. It happens all the time. And I think it's because there are a lot of people who think that animals can really sense the paranormal. Um I think I was watching, like, an episode of, like, My Cat from Hell where Jackson Galaxy was talking about how, like, cats can see things that people can't. What cats can see is they just have great eyesight and can see anything that, like, moves. So there's, like, particles of dust floating in the air that we can't right. see. They can see it. Sometimes my dog will just stare at a wall and it makes me really uncomfortable. I don't think he can see very well. My cats have never actually done anything, like, paranormal freaky. There was one time when Nikolai was just staring over my shoulder once and that was fun. See, the thing is that Queso just stares... Just at things, just sporadically throughout the day. So he does it so much that either, like, our apartment is just ghosts wall to wall, or he's just an old man dog who has no idea what's going on around him. Also, he has, like, some cataracts and stuff. Yeah, I don't think he can see real well. There's a lot going on in there. Yeah. So also, we talked about the cat that scared George. B.S. I know cats. I know. That's not how cats act. William Weber. Oh, gosh. Okay. This is something that we have not talked about yet. The way that the demonology and all of that sort of investigation started into the house at Amityville was with the help of William Weber. William Weber was the lawyer for Ron DeFeo Jr. So so it was an excuse. Like, demons made him do it. Yeah, I mean, like, literally the lawyer was like, oh, no, there's something evil in the house. Like, this is not coming from a place of people just thinking that demons are real and wanting to help. Like, there is something behind this. Um, He, Weber later came out and straight up said that this whole thing was a hoax. And the cat could or could not be a reference to the fact that there was a cat in the neighborhood that scared them a couple times that they used as like an inspiration for the character Jody. That's interesting. Yeah, because they would like see its its eyes outside. Uh, and they'd be like, oh, very reflective wouldn't eyes. that be creepy? And now they made a movie out of it. Solid. Um, but I also thought it was interesting, like this is one of the first movies to really bring in like the Indian burial ground trope yeah. that has kind of become popular to a certain extent. I mean... I feel like it's fizzled out a little bit. Because it has, because it's, also, it's very, also racially insensitive. Yeah. Like crazy. Um 
But also, so one, this wasn't technically a burial ground. It was where like this Native American tribe like dumped mentally ill people and then just like let them die there. So they weren't really buried there. They just kind of like died there. That seems like it would have even worse energy though. Yeah, pretty much the same thing. Pet Cemetery, which is one of those books that's really famous for having like Native American burial ground and having power come from that. The book actually came out a couple years after this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other big movie that really references this idea is Poltergeist. But they kind of make fun of the idea a bit because when the family's reaching out to the landlord, being like, what the heck's going on? He's like, what? It's not like it was built on an Indian burial ground. It was built just on a regular cemetery. It wasn't, a na- <laughs> it wasn't Native American. It was just dead people. Yeah. So it's definitely something we see a lot, even though, um, which we'll get into this more, uh, the Shinnecook Native Americans didn't actually live in this part of Long Island, apparently. Oh. Um, so it wasn't, that's not a thing. Also, I don't think that they had a place that they just dumped all of their mentally ill people. No, that just doesn't sound seems real. like, like a 70s thing where they like didn't understand that like Native Americans were also just like people who wouldn't inexplicably do horrifying shit to their citizens. No, it sounds very much like a scapegoat situation. Yeah, it sounds very um, Wild West sort of inspired. Oh, it's so gross. Yeah. I'm really happy this trope has like fizzled out. Yeah, it's, it's, uh. it's messed up. Okay, so one of the big tropes for me on this movie, um, so settle in for the next two hours of me screaming about factual inaccuracies. She's been screaming at me for weeks about yeah, this. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, this is one of the first, not the first, but one of the, the first major one, uh, movies to promote the idea that it was based on a true story. Now, we see a lot of inspired by true events in horror, like you have Psycho, which is loosely inspired by the actions of Ed Gein. Or, like, there's whatever that movie was where like just people kind of show up and torture people not funny games but there's another thing that was kind of similar and the whole idea is it was like inspired by a true story the true story was someone knocked on this guy's house at night one time and he was like wouldn't it be creepy if they were here to kill me <laughs> but technically it's inspired by true events because there was someone who actually knocked on his door that inspired him to write this story yeah inspired by true events is a total weasel word it can mean whatever you want it to mean based on a true story, is supposed to have at least a passing resemblance to the actual actions that supposedly happened. Supposed to being the prime words here. The way they get around this, sort of, for the movie, is that it's technically based on a book which technically claims that it is nonfiction. The problem with this is that Jay Anson's book, The Amityville Horror, is just fucking lies. (laughs) None of it is real. Um... So both the book and the movie dramatically overstate the involvement of the priest. He's a major character in the movie. He's a major character in the book. According to the people who actually knew him, uh, or to the people who actually knew the Lutzes, the priest that they actually asked over to bless the house, never went to the house, never talked to them. Only actually, sorry, to I'm sorry. To be fair, the Lutzes in the movie thought he never came to No, the they house. talked to the priest that it was based off of. <laughs> Um, and he was like, yeah, no, I didn't really know them that well. I called them a couple times. It wasn't a big deal. Nothing ever happened to me after that. Like it, it, it that guy, that, that never happened. Like it just, it's not real. None of the priest stuff is even based on anything at all. Also like the bar in the movie and the book was called Witch's Brew. But that's just not what the bar was called in real life. This one is especially egregious to me because... Okay, with the priest, it's like, oh, maybe it was a different priest. Oh, it can be hard to track down an interview. There are police records filed, which include the name of the bar that Ron DeFeo was arrested at. It was called Henry's Bar. There's another (laughs) bar 
in Amityville or in one of the nearby towns called Witch's Brew. It is a different bar. It's not the same bar. He was not at the bar. That is not the place that he frequented. To be fair, it does sound spoopier. It definitely sounds spoopier, but it's also just wrong and it's it's so easy to fact check you don't have to track anybody down i mean i guess this was written in the 70s so you could just google something but now it's on his wikipedia page you know uh. it's uh it's so obvious also in the book there is a reference to the family seeing cloven hoof prints in the fresh snow after a snowstorm a couple days before christmas which are supposedly the marks left behind by jody who is supposed to be this demon pig with cloven feet and red eyes also I do have to say this. We, like, looked at the Wikipedia synopsis. Like, I was trying to follow along with the movie just to make sure I know what's going on. One, the Wikipedia synopsis for this movie is incredibly out of order and just, like, has things that don't seem quite correct. Two, they say it has pig-like eyes in the movie. What does that mean? What does that mean? There's literally two red circles, like, perfect circles. I guess he sees, like, the pig behind her in the window at that one point in time, right? I didn't see that. Oh, where he's, like, out of the boathouse, and he looks up, and, like, she's in the window, and then he, like, sees that there's, like, a pig behind her. Oh, I missed that entirely. It's, like, a second in the movie. Okay. Yeah. That would make a lot more sense. a little more depth in the book. But it's just, like, mentioned, like, pig-like eyes. I've never what is heard pig-like eyes in my Pigs life. Pigs just have regular eyes. I googled pig eyes, and they, they just look, look like, like eyes. human eyes. Yeah, which is creepy, but whatever. It is creepy, but, you know. Yeah. But so anyway, so the day that this was supposed to happen and they were supposed to wake up and see these fresh snow print, like fresh prints in the snow, it did not snow in Amityville. (laughs) Like there are weather records. Again, this is another thing where it's like you can just fact check it. Like he wrote this whole book and like made this whole pop culture phenomenon. And like almost every single thing that he says is is it's easy to disprove by just looking at public records. To be fair, in the 70s, the Internet wasn't really a thing. So like people could library. Yeah, but do you think people were like, I'm going to go to the library and look up all these new, like, old newspaper articles on the weather and, and we've this If day. you're writing a nonfiction book, you Sorry. should assume someone is going to try to disprove you. That's the thing. If you're writing a nonfiction book about a supernatural event, you need to assume someone is going to try to debunk it because that's what people do about that. That's true. So you need to I'm do better. that, like, the mass public probably didn't care enough to go through that effort. Yeah. Also, as I mentioned, um, the investigation was in part led by William Weber. He admitted it was a hoax. At one point, they I guess they didn't do it in court. They didn't actually go forward with it, but they did consider floating the idea that voices and the devil or whatever made him do it. But here's the thing. Ron DeFeo changed his story of what happened like a million times. At first, it was that he just found the bodies and he didn't know what happened. Um, then it was that his uncle, who was involved with the mob, they must have killed his family to get to him. And then it was that his sister was really the ringleader and she'd shot everyone and then he shot her. And it's like, no, all of your family was found dead in bed because you like spiked their food with barbiturates and then shot your whole family with a shotgun. Nothing else made him do this. He did it because he was a piece of shit and that's all that there is to it. Yeah. No police ever visited the house. No, they never called the police. No one ever came there. There was no police officer who was lingering around outside of the house. There was no police presence at all. What? I just don't even understand what the point of that was. I don't know either. It was almost like they wanted to make it seem like they brought in an outside source to make it, like, legitimate. But it's even more glaring because that never happened. Because it would have been disproven if it had. Because, for one thing... For all of their talks about how the windows opened and closed and the doors were ripped off their hinges, when the next family moved in, all of the original hardware was intact. None of it was damaged. None of it had been replaced. And also, okay, early on in the movie, they mention 
when they first move in, he's like, wow, I have all these kids in this house and this family now. I feel really overwhelmed. The only thing that we know for sure is that George Lutz bought a house that was slightly outside of his financial comfort zone. They talk about in the book it was they were looking for something that was like up to $50,000, which, oof, boy, oh, the 70s man. were different. Um, up to $50,000, they bought an $80,000 house. He all of a sudden has three children. He has a wife. His wife is religious and he's not. So he's, she wasn't that religious in the in real life, apparently. Okay, but in the movie, still. like, she came across very Yeah, religious. they have different values. Um, his company was not doing that well, apparently, because there wasn't a lot of new construction in the area, which meant that they didn't really need a lot of surveillance. Surveying? They didn't need a surveyor, which is what his company did. He wasn't able to pay people, and he started having violent outbursts directed at his family. Did he actually have, like, the flu, too? Or is that? I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Again, they talk a lot about how much he was shitting, but I don't. I, <laughs> that's That part's hard to corroborate. Later on, his his stepson, um, one of the boys, said that he was not a fun person to live with, that he was very aggressive. To me, I mean, it feels like, like a you move into a house, everything's going wrong all of a sudden. You yeah. move out, you blame it all on something else. Yeah, the supernatural aspect is like a scapegoat where he could just say, like, this is where all our problems came from, not from, yeah. like, my life. Yeah. Apart, and I mean... Difficult. You know, I don't know them as people. I've never met any of them. I, I could be completely off base, but it just seems like it all seems like a, a, a metaphor for a guy who has completely lost control of what he thought he had control on and is in completely over his head. You know, and that seems legit. Yeah. Considering especially we know that a lot of the things that were supernatural or so were just completely made up because the lawyer said so. Yeah. And one of the one of the quotes from a blog that I found that I liked was, it is also possible, indeed, it is made explicit, that we were watching a man being torn apart by financial difficulties, impotence, and the emasculating pressures of having to live with three children who are not his own. Which is another thing I forgot to mention, we kind of forgot to mention, he can't get it up in a couple of the sex scenes. Like, there's the first one where they're just kissing each other's necks all over the place, and then there's the other where they try to have sex, and he's like, oh, this has never happened to me before. I honestly forgot that happened. Yeah. I'll be, yeah. Yeah, and in the book they go into more detail about, like, how they haven't really had sex since they moved in. I don't know. He's just having a difficult time. It seems like he's under a lot of stress, and whether or not the house is trying to kill him, like, it's not going well for whatever reason. Yeah. You know? Um, Also, so that kind of, you know, that's all the stuff that kind of stuck out to me is, like, it's, it it frustrates me because, for one thing, the DeFeo murders were real. Yeah. They did really happen. Um, I think five people died. I think there were three kids and the two parents, and then then, um, Ron, or Butch is his nickname, uh, who lived. And those are real people who who really were killed, were murdered, and it is a tragedy. Um, and it feels really shitty to me to try to turn that into something that's, you know, there's demons and there's devil. And it's like all about someone else's life in that building and, and someone else's terror that they went through. And it's like, that's probably not real. And it completely has overshadowed the fact that children were murdered there. Like, his little siblings were shot to death by someone that I assume they thought they could trust. Yeah. And to me, it's just so distasteful that, you know, this group of people has tried to turn it into something that's... It's turned into, like, a show almost. Yeah. It's now, like, a dog and pony. Exactly. And, like, now even still, people... They've changed the address of the house, I guess, technically, even though it's in the same place. People still go by and try to take pictures in front of it as though it's a fun tourist destination. It's a it's a former crime scene. Yeah. And that's something that really rubs me the wrong way in general. Um, 
I think that a lot of people who I mean, like people also do that with crime scenes though. Like, yeah, about, like think about like the Black Dahlia murders. And yeah, stuff like that. which is fucked up. Or like how people want there to be something that's like you know, mythological or, or magical about the Cecil Hotel in downtown LA where Elisa Lamb died. And, you know, ultimately, or, or like where the Manson murders and Cielo Drive or the Manson murders were committed. Ultimately, these are just places where horrible things happen to people for no good reason. And there's no reason to like glamorize that fact. No. And it, it, it you know, I am a true crime enthusiast. Um, we were talking earlier before the show about how relieved I am that they, they caught the Golden State Killer recently. And, you know, that's something that I, I am definitely tuned into and it's something that I care about, but it's just... You're not also taking selfies of the sites of these murders. Yeah, because at the end of the day, like, these are real people, you know, and, and, and their lives were destroyed. Their lives were ended because of this. And it just, it's in such poor taste and it rubs me the wrong way that, you know, even if something spooky did happen at that house, like, none of those people died, you know? Yeah. And it's completely overshadowed the people who actually did live there and who actually did die there. I'm going to take this in a slightly less dark direction. Yeah, lighten it up a little. And reference The Office for a moment. Okay. So there is an episode of The Office where Erin is trying to have like a scary party that she's throwing. So she goes to Gabe, who's really into horror movies, and she's like, I need your help. (laughs) So he makes this video of like cinema of the unsettling is what he calls it. (laughs) And so many parts of this movie reminded me of that because it's not so much that like a lot of scary stuff's happening as it's really like just things that make you feel uncomfortable. Like when this priest is being attacked by flies, there are repeated like zoom ins on the flies. This really horrible oh, dissonant yeah, music. Yeah, you like see their faces. And it just happens like faces of the flies rubbing little like hands together then back to the priest and back to the flies. And then it happens again when like the kid's hand gets slammed in. It goes uh. like family freaking out. Close up of the hand. Family freaking out. Close up of the hand. And it just made me think I was like the game Lewis like make this freaking movie because it's so similar to that and I just thought that was really funny that's like all I could think of is this one like weird episode of The Office there are so many scenes where it's just like it's not even necessarily scary but it's like it's just like makes you feel kind of weird I don't want to be in a pit full of blood no or like there's so much like puking or in the book there's a ton of diarrhea yeah and they're weird like black goop in the toilets and everything it's just like a lot of stuff that's like Ew, I just yeah. don't want to deal with that. Yeah, I don't like it. That's not fun. No, it's not. So it was just interesting that it was a different... It, it's not so much that it was scary as it was just unsettling. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Oh, also, I forgot to mention this earlier when we were talking, because apparently my whole thing was completely out of order. The younger priest is not there in the book. Really? Not there at all. Um, I mean, they do mention a younger priest who, like he works with on one thing briefly and it's like he's mentioned once and that's kind of it um which made me think of the exorcist because you have this older priest you have a younger priest you have bad shit happening to the older priest you have you know the younger priest trying to interpret those things there's the loss of faith although in this case it's the um the older priest who suffers the the loss of faith and the the choosing to i guess leave the order or whatever it is that he does at the end um and that's something that I thought was really interesting. And again, this that was made in 73. This one came out in 76. Obviously, The Exorcist was... Didn't this come out in 79? Or are you talking about the book? Oh, yeah, I said 76. This came out in 79. I know what numbers are, <laughs> even when they're flipped upside down. So, yeah, so, so this came out after The Exorcist. Obviously, The Exorcist was a huge hit. To me, it felt kind of obvious. Yeah, I could definitely see a 
parallel to a certain extent there. Yeah. Like, again, it's not exact, but... But, I mean, it makes sense that they'd want just this extra dynamic. Also, just, like, watching the priest alone in all those scenes probably would have been a lot more boring. Yeah, all he does in in the book is just, like puke, feel a little bit better, call them, get sick again, go stay with his mother, feel a little bit better, call them, get sick again. It's like, okay, (laughs) just leave it alone. Just just don't do it anymore. Just, (laughs) yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, overall, it's kind of interesting to watch a movie that I didn't really like and then have to talk about it. I mean, we're not going to like every movie that we watch. We're not. Not every horror movie is good, although I will defend horror forever but this one was rough i mean sometimes our favorite movies aren't the best like even though i love stay alive and it's my favorite horror movie it's not a traditionally like good movie <laughs> i recognize that it has no, a lot yeah, of flaws it's it's, that's it's, a lot of fun yeah. i love it but that doesn't mean it's good there are also just movies that aren't good that we don't have to like it's okay yeah and even though this one is important it is um, it also came out almost 40 years ago now. Yeah. So, like, it kind of makes sense that a 40-year-old, like, some 40-year-old movies are going to feel dated. And I think a big part of it is just the pacing. The sound editing for me was a really big issue because there were times when it was way too loud and then way too quiet. And, like, it was never in that middle. It was just one or the other. Even when I turned it way up, it was still too quiet. So I had to put on subtitles. I did feel somewhat vindicated by the fact um, that it has, well, it's 6.2% on IMDb, which is surprising. It's a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, that's, so does make me like, feel a little okay. bit okay, <laughs> I'm not alone in this, because I watched it and I was like, oh no, this is supposed to be like a classic horror. I can't believe I don't like it, and I don't like it. Probably did a lot for the haunted house genre and for horror in as a whole, and again, the whole like true crime, while it's kind of shitty, it's also like kind of interesting kind of like open the doors for other movies like The Conjuring might not have been made if this wasn't made you that's know? true and The Conjuring's I thought when I saw it in theaters was actually a lot of fun yeah I liked The Conjuring I thought it was a good movie um, yeah I mean it's definitely interesting and again I have not watched a lot of Haunted House movies and I'm excited to see as I you know expand into that subgenre a little bit more what I recognize from this movie. Well, the next movie we're watching actually kind of has a mini haunted house thing going on, so... Right, because we're watching... The Grudge. The Grudge. Sarah Michelle Gellar. Hell prime, yes. like, mid-2000s. Gonna see some great... Just after fashion. Buffy. Oh, yeah. It was a post-Buffy Sarah Michelle Gellar. Post-Buffy SMG. She's real scared. It takes place partially in Japan. Dope. Maybe entirely in Japan, actually. I don't remember. I've never seen it, so I have no idea. The second one is, like, also partially in Chicago. Have I seen it? I don't think we've watched it together. Okay. I don't think I've seen it since, like, high school. I used to love this movie. Okay. Um, it was definitely, along with The Ring, the one that kind of defined, like, Japanese horror for American audiences. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ring takes place fully in the U.S. This one actually has, like, Japanese ghosts. Okay. Um, and... Oh, God, it freaked me out as a kid, so I'm excited to rewatch it. I can't wait. I do know, I'm pretty sure it's available on Stars to watch for free. I'm going to buy it, because my goal is to buy it. Oh, yeah, I'm just talking about. so people listening can watch along with us. If you Why are you talking to people who aren't me, Maddie? <laughs> I talk to everyone. I talk to the world. Yeah, um, watch it online. Oh, I definitely was looking at stars at one point and I thought this was really funny where I kept suggesting different horror movies to me so I kept adding to my list and somehow I added a bunch of movies where the poster was like a close-up of an eye and it was like four in a row that were all posters of eyes and I was like this is so weird that's a common one yeah um, I'm actually in an entertainment marketing class where they talk about how so many posters are the same like there's like the big head in the sky Mm -hmm. with little people on the beach is a big one (laughs) 
Um, just <laughs> tropes and or like commonly used themes in movie posters are hilarious. I love that. Well, we hope you enjoyed listening to us to talk about this uh, not very good movie. Hit me up on Twitter so that I can scream more at you about how I feel about things. Yeah, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sat14thPodcast. We're having a great time over there. Yeah, we're also on Facebook. You can search Saturday the 14th and find our page. And then we also, um, as always, would love to have you check out our site, which is SaturdayThe14thPodcast.com. And finally, if you enjoy our podcast, which Hopefully you do. Rate and review us on whatever app you're listening to us on. Um, Stitcher, iTunes, we're kind of everywhere at this point. Yeah, we really appreciate any feedback. Um, If we're doing great, pop up a cool review. If we're not doing great, just email us what we could be doing better. You don't need to, like, put it out all over the place. (laughs) Just tell us personally, like, person to person. But either way, um, stay spoopy. And uh, have a great time. Drive safe. And we love you. 